I do hope you have your Bible with you. We will follow along this morning as we uh, read through the text. We are in the book of Nehemiah. We've had some uh, hit and miss Sundays. But we are continuing to work through the book of Nehemiah, and I invite you to open there to the book of, uh, or to chapter 4 of Nehemiah. We're actually going to finish chapter 4. If you've noticed the, the last se- uh, several messages out of here, I've entitled the same thing. It's this, this battle that is unfolding. When Nehemiah came and he gave his, his, uh, his plea to the people of, uh, first of all, to the king, of course, back where he was at in Susa, but then to the, to the people uh, of Jerusalem and say, we need to rebuild these walls. And we've been, we've been trying to work this together, not only what's happening physically among the, the, the people of, of Jerusalem there, but what's happening with us. How, how does this apply to us? And, and as that work began to happen, as the wall began to take shape, as the doors began to get uh, put back into place and, and the rubble began to get cleared, then we noticed right away that there was opposition that came, right? That, that people rose up against that. We have spent the last couple of times in this text talking about this battle to build. The battle to build. By the way, before I get too carried away, if you uh, care to, if you want to uh, jot notes or look at it, if you're not aware of this, you can flip around the bulletin on the back side. There's some notes back there. You can uh, follow along. It kind of lays out where we're headed for the most part. But today I want to finish off this chapter as we see that this battle continues. It's, now the battle doesn't stop, by the way. We're going to find out in just a couple of chapters, that uh, the next chapter, maybe even the end of chapter 6, that the battle continues, but uh, we see that sort of a conclusion to this section of talking about how this battle works. Let's read together before we can do anything else, because this is what we are studying, what the Lord is going to speak to us from. Let's read uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 15. When our enemies heard, those enemies that had been saying all kinds of things about whether they're going to come and surprise them with an attack, that they're going to uh, not be able to build, they're going to doubt all the the stuff we talked about in the last uh, several times together in this text. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they might be a guard for us by night and labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Father, this is always your text. It's you. It's inspired from you. And so we want you to teach us. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I pray that you would put the words where they need to be, take out the words that don't need to be. But more than anything, I pray that you'd open our eyes and give us understanding that we might glorify you by our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So as typical, I'm going to break the text apart, just a few key things that are going to lead us into the discussion, and we're going to finish out this, this, this conversation about the battle to build. Now I want to point, we're going to start there right at the very first verse that comes, verse 15 that we talked about, and when something happened, as they were coming back and forth, there's these threats being made, and Nehemiah takes these, these precautions, that's what we spent time the last time, he, he, he puts people on guard, he, he rallies them with this battle cry, he says, hey, we're going to continue this work, we're not going to stop, we're not going to be thwarted, we're not going to be afraid of them, we are going to remember the Lord who is great and mighty, and we're going to fight for our families. We're going to fight for our homes. We're going to fight for what the Lord has asked us to do. When our enemies heard this, but I want to hear, talk about what it says that they heard. It says that when our enemies heard this, let's just finish that first part, first of all. When they heard that it was known to us what their plans were, or what they were talking about, but look at the second part. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. Now, I, it is always my aim to, as I preach the Word of God, to help us to understand that God very specifically words things. The, the word doesn't just come out accidentally. It doesn't just, well, you write down some things and hope you get across the gist of what I'd like to say. The word comes with some very specific things. Why does it, for example, say that they heard not only that the people of Jerusalem, that Nehemiah and all those people, they knew about these plans and had taken some action steps, but they knew that it was God, in fact, that had frustrated their plan. It was God that had frustrated the plan. You know, we might look, by the way, if we are given to a humanistic standpoint, we might look at that and say, well, we can't go sneak in anymore because now they have guards set. But Nehemiah says that's not what it really what it was. Now, I don't know whether it was that they knew that or that Nehemiah knew that. I submit to you for us this morning, it is probably more important that we look at it from the perspective that Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah understood we did something. Go back to what he said back when, when he found out these threats were coming. Way back in verse 9, he says, we prayed to God, and then we set a guard of protection. And we talked about that balance of prayer and action, that both are necessary. And we talked about the fact, maybe I don't know if I remember the words came out of my mouth or not, but we talked about the fact that Nehemiah took steps. He put a guard out, but he understood that in reality, the truth was his protection was coming from the Lord, not from the men he had out there scattered around the wall. And it's reflected in this. When he says, hey, they heard that we knew about it, but more than that, they knew that God had frustrated their plan. And he's in good company. This is what Scripture teaches us. You remember this guy named Eliphaz the Temanite? What book does he show up in? Anybody know? Say it out loud. The book of Job. He's one of Job's friends. You might debate whether he's friends or not, but he was one of Job's friends. And he says this, by the way, in Job chapter 5, verse 12, he says, He, God, frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. And he was just agreeing with what the wisdom of Proverbs says. Whether he knew it or not, that's what he was agreeing with. Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel can avail against the Lord. I'm telling you, friends, this has got to be one of the bedrock, theological, foundational beliefs that we have about God, that God will accomplish his purposes. And you can try to go against them. You can try to thwart them. You can try to undo them. You can, but you won't. 
we could probably spend hours, if not days, weeks, months, perhaps years, digging into that interplay between God's sovereignty and our own wills and what we want to do. They both exist. They're both true. It's a tension that we see in Scripture that is lived out in our lives. Yet in just this verse already, we have, I think, we have uncovered an incredibly important spiritual principle, spiritual principle for us. Here's where it is. I put it in context of them building a wall. Though we work hard in this battle to build, though we do everything we can, we keep working hard, we put on the armor, we put sentries out, we put the guards up. Though we work hard in this battle to build, it, the glory for any victories goes to God. When something good happens, it's because God was there. Again, the wisdom of Scripture says, you can watch the city all night, but unless God is watching, what? You watch in vain. You can build the house if you'd like to, but unless God builds it, you labor in vain. Nehemiah can set a guard, and he can work hard at building the walls, but unless God is protecting, they're working in vain. We, today, we can work really hard, and we should. We can work really hard at clearing the rubble, the, the, the rubble that's making a mess in our spiritual lives. We can get that out. We can build these walls. We can establish our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, and we should work as hard as we can. However, when there are victories, unless God is the one that's bringing about, we are doing so in vain. We're fighting a losing battle. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29 when Paul has just spent the last section of verses in Colossians chapter 1 just going uh, sort of all out, forthcoming about how hard he works to spread the gospel, how much he desires that everyone knows what this hope of glory is that is Jesus Christ in us, and how much he expends himself, and, and this task he's called to, he says, I, I'm laboring, and then he says this at the very end. He says, for this I toil, trying to make everyone uh, perfect in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Even Paul recognized, I'm working so hard. I'm giving myself, I'm all of myself. I'm holding nothing back, which is how it should be. But I'm doing all that. I'm struggling with all this energy I have according to his power that's at work in me. In the end, we still have to come. By the way, if you think I'm over making a point, if you think we've got it, let's move on. I'm telling you, it, this, is, this is a very, very, very crucial piece of our belief, our theology. If we in some way think that we have anything to do with the answer or the good things or the victories, then we have a mistaken understanding of who God is and who we are. We cannot, I would make this bold claim, we cannot fully receive the gospel of Jesus Christ let the weak say they are strong, the poor say they are rich. We cannot accurately, fully, adequately receive that unless we are convinced that we are weak and poor, that we are desperately needy, helpless without him. Nehemiah displays this. When they had heard 
that it was known to us by the fact that we put a guard out, but that God had frustrated their plan, that God was responsible for this victory. Then he says, we all returned, let's go back to that verse that we started with, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. But, listen carefully, there's a, there's, 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 there's a major difference though, right? It was not just that they were building a wall, clearing rubble, rebuilding, putting the stones in place, rebuilding the, the doors, all that stuff. They weren't doing that, and then these threats came, and they said, oh, well, hold on, let's, uh, let's set a guard. Ah, now they know that we were aware of this, and God has frustrated the plan, so let's put all that stuff down, and let's go back and build the wall. Did the work look like it had looked before? Not even close. Look at all the things that Nehemiah says. He says, I have my own group of servants, and instead of all of them helping to build, now half of them, all they're doing is, is, is being a guard. All they're doing is holding the weapons for those that may need them. All they're doing is maintaining that presence, that awareness, that you're not going to just sneak up on us. They're, they're engaged in the battle all the time. And not only that, but all of those who are the leaders that may not be doing the work themselves, they're not just in their houses doing nothing. They are behind those people that are building. They're giving them encouragement. They're ready to give leadership if any kind of fight or any kind of battle happens to develop. And not only that, all those guys who have been clearing rubble and taking it away, and all those guys who've been carrying stone and brick to the wall to rebuild it, all of them now are going to work with one hand carrying things and one hand with a weapon in that. In their, in their other hand. Like, they just got less efficient by half, right? Maybe more than that, because I would say it's probably even, even harder than half as hard to try to do everything with one hand than it is to have two hands. And even those buildings that need both hands to do the job, even them, even they have their weapons strapped there, even they have a sword there. I don't know, probably not many of us have been engaged in a whole lot of wall building, but I suspect that it's a lot harder to do what you're trying to do when you have this big sword. Anybody, by the way, as a little boy, this, I don't know, maybe not all boys are like this, but I suspect many of them are. I mean, I used to think it would be really cool to walk on the sword all the time because, well, swords are cool, right? So, but it's actually not that fun. Like, they're big, and they get stuck on things, and they hit things all the time, and it's actually not that fun. I suspect if we were to be building a wall, trying to build a wall, or do construction work, and we have this big old sword hanging here, it may get in our way a few times. But these are all the changes that were made. They didn't just go on as normal. The work went on but not as normal. Even though he gave credit to the Lord, even though he's, he said, well, God gave us this victory, this, that he's holding at bay, he didn't say, well, now I'm going to ignore it. And I want to just remind us again this morning, there's going to be opposition to rebuilding, reformation, to bringing Christ's identity in us. Individually, as families, as churches, there's going to be opposition we have to rise to meet that opposition. We have to recognize that when there's victories, it's God's responsible for them. And then we have to recognize that they don't just go away. They stay there. I'm suspecting there's a few parents out here that will agree with me. There's plenty of times when we think there's been something that's been taken care of in our family. We think, now we don't have to worry about that anymore. And guess what? It crops up again. We have to keep worrying about that, don't we? But even move that aside, have you ever had times when you were really struggling with something and the Lord works in your life and you walk in freedom and you say, ah, I don't even worry about that anymore. 
only to find out that at some point that battle is still there. Now, I, if you talk to me, you, you probably know how I feel about this. I do firmly believe there are times when the Lord just removes things from us by His Spirit. And that's wonderful. <laughs> that's really great when that happens. I don't think that's always how it happens. I think there's plenty of times when we're left with a struggle in our hands. I suggest to you it's how God wants it to be. There's plenty of things in Scripture that tell me that's exactly how God wants it to be. When you were weak, then you were strong. Right? You can't please God unless you live by faith, and it's a lot harder. Well, I shouldn't say harder. It seems harder for us many times to live by faith when God just removes all the obstacles and life is easy, right? Well, we should keep on moving. The work goes on, but it looks very different. And Nehemiah continues to not only physically carry this out. I've said this many times. Physically carry out what's going on, but he's a very good verbal communicator. He's a very good exhorter. Ex he's very good at exhorting them, at encouraging them. And he says this. And you may not think this is very encouraging to start with, but in verse 19 he says, here's the next big point we're going to make because we're going we're gonna to have to spend some time with this. He talks to all the leaders and in fact then to all the people and he says, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And you might say, hold on, Merlin. You said this was an encouragement to them. At this point, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Hey, guys, let's get back to work. And by the way, it's a really tough job. It's a big job we're trying to accomplish. And we're all spread apart. We're all over the place. We're not very close to each other. Not very encouraging, is it? Doesn't seem so. I would submit to you, however, there's something we can learn from this. Because we tend to think that the only thing that can be encouraging is if there's nothing negative about it. We've sort of bought this lie, I think, sometimes that, if, you, that if, if the truth isn't quite as positive or as rosy we'd like it to be, then we should just withhold that because it can't be encouraging that way. I would like to submit to you this morning, if you're willing to entertain this option, that recognizing or wrestling with or stating the truth, even if it's difficult, is the very foundation or the only foundation we have for true encouragement. Think about how this works, by the way. How encouraging is it to you when someone comes to you and pays you a compliment, but you know it's not true? You know that they just wanted to say something nice to you. Does that really encourage you? No, because you know it's not true. It's based on, 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 the, on an untruth. However, if we're willing to admit it, how encouraging is it those times when someone comes up to us and points out something that maybe we'd rather not have pointed out because it doesn't make us look that good, but is willing to address it with us and we acknowledge it and it's those things in acknowledging that we can then come to repentance and we un there's, there's this relief that, hey, I can look at this and talk about it and I can surrender to the Lord and there's good things. It's encouraging. We walk away from that being encouraged. It's the same lie, by the way, that we're believing when we say we don't like repentance, we don't like to be convicted. It doesn't feel good because we don't like to be told we're wrong. And we believe that, don't we? We fight that many times. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking broadly. Maybe that's not you. I think for many of us, we don't like being told we're wrong, so we don't like conviction. We think we should not like conviction. The reality is there's always peace and freedom waiting at the end of conviction if we repent. And that, my friends, 
is the best feeling in the world is being right with God. You've heard me say this before. We should love repentance. <laughs> we should love conviction. I don't know that we always do, though. Truth is what gives us a foundation for real encouragement because it acknowledges that we can look at something that is perhaps a bit difficult, but it's true, and that allows us to then bring the God that we say we serve and the say we know, bring him into the picture. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. Look, he says, hey, the work is great. It's widely spread. We are separated on this wall. We're far from each other. But in the place when you hear the sound of the trumpet, when you hear that trumpet call, then you rally to us there, and God is going to fight for us. There's so much in, these, in this, this little verse. There's so much truth. There's so much stuff that I think we frankly would like to ignore. When you hear this battle cry, you have to know, hey, we're spread apart. But when you hear it, then you have to come. You have to rally. But again... God is going to fight for us. And Nehemiah doesn't say this lightly. If you need a little reminder this morning, let me give it to you. Nehemiah does not just pull these these words out of a hat and say, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to tell you words that may not be true, but God's going to fight for you. No, no. He is quoting scripture. Let me just show you a few. This is not exhaustive, but let me just show you a few verses. We don't spend time with any of these, but just to hear them. In Exodus 14, 14, God says to the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In Deuteronomy 1.30, he says, The Lord your God, Moses says this, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt. Just referred to that. Just as he did before you in Egypt right before your eyes. Just a couple of chapters later, he says, You shall not fear them, the people of the promised land. You shall not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. A couple more chapters later in Deuteronomy still. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you the victory. Do we need more reminders? Let's keep reading. Joshua 23.10, now we're talking to a different man in Scripture. Same God, though. One man of you puts to flight a thousand sins. It is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Need I go on, church? Need I go on? Do we understand what God wants to say to us? He will fight for us. I will tell you, if you don't believe that, then you don't believe Jesus came to die for you. That's the biggest fight of all, that God said, I will not leave you behind. I will send my son Jesus into the cruel world, the world that he made, but will reject him. The darkness will try to overcome him. And in fact, they think, well, they will have accomplished it until I bring him back to the light of life after death. He will be crushed for your sake. He will be bruised for you. Upon him will the punishment be that you deserved. You don't think God is going to fight for you? He already did. And it will be no different tomorrow as it was that day. Jesus said, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, what will he do? Say, well, I guess I lost one. No, he will go out and leave the 99 in the open, desolate place until he has found that one and bring it home and celebrate because what was lost has now been found. When you hear the trumpet call, rally to that place and come together, but know that God is going to be the one that fights for you. This brings us to a second complementary spiritual principle to the first I shared. Though we work really hard in this battle to build, we trust God for that victory. 
It is his. He's the one that's fighting. By the way, you may have looked at both of those spiritual principles I showed and thought, well, duh, we already know all that. But I would tell you, unless we see that they are absolutely essential and necessary and they go together, you can't have one without the other. You really can't. You cannot say you trust God for victories if you're not giving him the glory for the ones he gave you already. It's not yours. You didn't win that battle. And vice versa. It doesn't do any, get any good to try to, by lip service, give glory to God for any victories when you didn't trust him to start with to fight for you. If you took it upon your own shoulders. If you said, this is the battle I have to win. Can I just be blunt? This is, if I can use it this way, this word, this is the garbage that is coming to us from our culture around us over and over and over and over again. That we, you and I, that it is up to us to turn this around. It is up to us to win this battle. It's, you hear that phrase all the time, this is the battle that I have to win. This is the fight that I have to win. No, 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 no. We don't win any of those fights. The Lord fights for us and wins that battle. But make no mistake, you see, what, you see what's happening here. There's hard work involved on our part. But we must understand, theologically speaking, down at the bottom bedrock, it's God who wins that battle, and it's God who gets the glory for that victory. So, let's bring this down to the end here. We've seen this picture, what's happening here, and I want to spend some time with that picture, not just the picture we see back in Jerusalem, but the picture we see today. So we labored. Did you catch that word? So we labored. You know, the biggest problem we've run into when we become convinced that God fights our battles is that we do nothing. That we sit back and think, well, God's going to fight our battles, so we just do nothing. And so somehow we have to work together in our lives. We have to work this out, to work together these two things where we say, I will trust God for victories and I will give him all the glory when it happens, but I'm going to labor. Laboring is a good thing, by the way. We sometimes like to believe the lie that work is bad just because it's hard. Labor is a good thing. We labored. We labored. We went on. Half of them held spears. Half of them uh, worked. Those are his servants he's referring to. He told the people, hey, by the way, spend the night in here so that you're on call all the time. And he closes out with this interesting little picture of him, his brothers, his servants, all of those people. He says, none of us took off our clothes. And there's this little phrase at the end. Each kept his weapon at his right hand, which if you do any study of Scripture uh, in this text, you'll recognize right away that this is a phrase that the commentators have a really hard time translating, figuring out exactly what Nehemiah means when he says that. As I already told you several times in Hebrew, uh, what this is written in, there's a lot fewer words than what we read in English. So you have to fill in some gaps. And he says something about that each of them, and he uses this verb which means to send out or to project or to, 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 yeah, to send forth. And then he uses this word that has to do with water. Now, the reason they translate that in the right hand in the ESV is because that's, they, they said that's what they would have used to drink or to even wash the right hand, not the left hand. There's some questions as to what Nehemiah actually means. Some people choose to translate that as saying what the ESV did, that they kept their weapons there at the right hand. Some people say, well, it means that they didn't take their clothes off except to wash themselves. Some people say, well, the word for water is actually a euphemism, which can mean going to the bathroom. And so 
they were really on guard the whole time unless they were going to the bathroom. All of which doesn't take away from the picture what Nehemiah is trying to say, actually, which is that we held ourselves in a state of readiness at all times. And let me say something once again. We covered this before. I've been pulling out leadership principles through the whole thing, what a godly leader uh, does and looks like. One of them I, we had a little while ago was this one right here, that a godly leader sees himself as part of the whole, that they're part of the whole thing. I, I brought this out when Nehemiah recognized that when there's error in, in the ways of the people, he just counted himself right with it. He said, look at the trouble that we are in. Look at the trouble that we are in. He didn't say, look at the trouble you guys are in. Like I was living over here and doing right with God, but look at the trouble you guys are in. He said, look at the trouble we are in. And here we see Nehemiah once again living out that same godly leadership principle, don't we? Nehemiah didn't say, hey, we got to stay awake all night long. So you guys, you stay awake, but I'm a really busy man and I got to oversee this whole work. So it's really important that I get my sleep. I'm going to go into my house. I'm going to rest here and I got to be awake for tomorrow morning. So you guys keep watch during the night. You guys, but, but I, have, I have more important things to do. He says, neither I nor my brothers nor my servants, he put himself in the exact same group as his servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us, None of us moved away from this state of readiness. In that way, I've never said it in these words, but in that way, Nehemiah shows us a clear type of Jesus Christ, a forerunner of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he said, I did not come to be served, but what? Say it to serve others, to seek and save that which is lost. Do you think Jesus is a good leader? I mean, that's a rhetorical question, right? <laughs> like, Hebrews says he is our chief leader, actually. Like, he's our archegos, our chief leader. Yeah, and Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to, to serve others. Now that you've seen this example, when he bent down and and uh, wash their feet. Now that you've seen this example of me, you'll be blessed if you do likewise. Nehemiah is a forerunner of seeing, hey, I'm not going to hold myself to this place where I say, that's, that's beneath me. I don't do that. You guys do that. You take care of the, the grunt work. What I really want to get to, though, this morning as we close this out, we, we've seen this picture emerge. I've been calling it this battle to build. They're building. They get opposition. They try to meet that. And, and they try to keep on building. And you see that what the, the plan Nehemiah has come up with, they're spread about around this whole city. They're trying to fight this battle together. But what I think we should see emerging is not a, a picture of the battle to build, but a recognition that they are seeing this, that they are doing battle and building at the same time. It's not an either or. They're not saying, well, we got to do our fight, and then we're going to go back to build. They're saying, we understand this is what it is. We are fighting a battle, and we are building. And in that picture emerging, I went and I'll pull that back out of way back long ago and away from rebuilding some physical city wall and to say, if we're here today, 2020, and we're saying we recognize that our identity, the walls we have, the things that we restrict ourselves in, the things that protect us, our, our identity in Jesus Christ, those walls have suffered. Look at the trouble we are in. And we are saying that we want to rebuild those identities of, as true followers of Jesus Christ, submitted to our leader, both in our own personal lives and in our families and in our church. We'd love to say in our nation, it may be too late for that. 
if we're going to say that and recognize that there's a battle, there's opposition that comes, we have to be in the same place where we say, this is not a battle to build. Like, this is recognizing that we have a battle and we're building. We're doing both. It's, it's constantly there. We have been called to the same, the same cry, the same call, the spiritual battle that we are facing as individuals and as families and as a church. That same spiritual battle happens at the same time that we're building our identity. They're not separated. They're happening at the same time. And then let's look at this picture. Do you notice, again, they didn't say, well, my job is to build the wall, so I have nothing to do with the battle. Well, my job is to carry the rubble, so I have nothing to do They didn't say, well, hey, let's hire some soldiers and have them stand around us and guard us while we do the work. They said, we are the warriors and we are the builders, every one of us. That is what we are called to, every one of you, all of us, not just Nehemiah, not just the leaders, every one of you is called to engage in that spiritual battle, to be the warrior and also to build to rebuild, to reform, to reshape what God wants to see in your life, in your family's life, in our church's life together. But even more this picture, keep following the picture. Doesn't it feel so many times like we're so spread apart, we're so far apart? (laughs) You ever feel like you're alone in the things? Like the battle that I'm facing, it doesn't seem like anybody else is facing that battle. It's so small, it's so tucked away, and yet it is what I think is one of the central teachings of New Testament Christianity church. Remember what Nehemiah said? Hey, when the trumpet sounds, well, when's, when's the trumpet going to sound? Why is the trumpet going to sound? Who's, wh- why is the guy who's following Nehemiah around with the trumpet, why is he going to blow that trumpet? Well, because there's trouble somewhere. Because something's going wrong. Because something isn't going like it should. When the trumpet sounds... What should everyone else do? Drop what they're doing and rally there and watch God fight. Help. Friends, this is a picture of the church, the body. It happens all the time. And you can point to different reasons, but it happens all the time. When people are struggling, when their life is falling apart, And everyone else goes on and acts like they don't care. Like they have more important things to do. Like it's messy and I don't want to get involved. Guess what? It is messy. Think of the picture. When that man blows that trumpet, there's a really good chance it's because there's enemies waiting with weapons that are going to hurt. Like real life hurt. Kill. Draw blood. And these others were supposed to run to that place and help. Friends, brothers and sisters, when there's things going on in our lives, there's real hurt. And when we run to that, there's a real good chance that there's hurt waiting there for us. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to care for those that are spread around the wall with us? Or are we going to say that's not a fight that I'm, one of, I'm willing to engage in? Rest assured, the trumpet isn't always sounded. So if you're one of those people and you're saying that's what I felt like, First of all, I'm sorry, because it is a weakness that we have as a church. Maybe you want to say particularly here, but church in general. But second of all, let's make sure the trumpet's being sounded. 
Let's make sure we know when there's people who are drowning and can't, can't figure out what's going on and the life is falling apart. But I think I can firmly place the burden on the, the rest of us. Because there's plenty of times when the trumpet is sounded and we say, someone else will take care of that. It's not my problem. I want to read to you two sections. I'm not sure how well this transitions, but I want to read to you two sections from the New Testament to make this point. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to turn to your Bibles, I'd love to have you join them. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Only one will be on the screen, but the rest will be in, the, in your Bible. You should read that. As he's talking about this ministry of reconciliation we have, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are imploring people to be made right with God on, through Jesus Christ. He says this. He starts off chapter 6 this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, with, with Jesus, working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then he says this. And my question is whether we are willing to go to the depths and the places that Paul is talking about. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This is how we come. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. We're getting a picture of what it looks like. In the wall they labored and they, they, they were doing a physical burden. Now we're looking at a picture of what the laboring looks like for us. Look at that. By great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Listen, when we're laboring, we also have weapons in our hands, but look what they are. The weapons of righteousness, being right with God, doing what he asks us to do. The righteousness on the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and rejoicing, sorry, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything." It is very true, brothers and sisters, when you go to help someone who's having their lives fall apart, that you're probably going to be misunderstood. You might even have some things said about you that aren't true. It may not even be appreciated. They may not say they want it. It doesn't matter. Look at all the things Paul said. I'm willing to go through so that you might come to know Jesus. I see very, 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 very few of us willing to do this for other people. It's hard. The work is hard. And it won't get easier. And we get tired of that, don't we? We get tired of working hard. We get tired of giving ourselves and maybe not getting a whole lot back in, except for some grief. It hurts. We don't understand things. 
We don't always get it right. Can I encourage you this morning? We're going to sit, look at the same picture. But I want to encourage you that there is an end. We don't know when it's going to be, but there is an end. Jesus said these words. If I could read them for you this morning. In fact, if you would turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Jesus said these words to us. They give us the same kind of visual of the Israelites building a wall. Of us being willing to engage in this fight together. The battle and the building together as a community of believers. As individuals, but as a community of believers. We're doing this all together at the same time. And Jesus said these words in verse 32 of Mark chapter 13. But concerning that day, he's talking about the day of the coming of the Son of Man. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says, knowing that, be on guard, keep awake. Sounds a lot like Nehemiah saying, so we slept through the night. We never took our clothes off. We were ready at every moment. We were ready at every moment. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. Stay awake. When Jesus says it is like a man going on a journey, I'm telling you this morning, that's exactly what it's like. It's like a man went on a journey. That man was Jesus. And he put his servants in charge. That would be us. And we each have our work to do that we're supposed to do. And he's commanding the doorkeeper to stay awake. He's commanding us to be awake. And he doesn't just say the doorkeeper because later on he says, I say it to all of you. Stay awake. You don't know when he's going to come back. Keep working. You don't know when he's going to return. It could be the next moment. It could be a long time from now. It doesn't matter. That is not the issue. The issue is are we going to stay awake? Are we going to keep fighting this battle? Are we going to be on our guard? Are we going to be concerned about what God wants to do in us and in our families, in our churches, and those around us? Do we care enough about them? Are we engaged in the battle and in the building of the walls? What I say to you, Jesus said to those disciples that day, he says to all of us this morning, stay awake. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. As always, there's so much instruction, there's so much illumination, and some of that illumination always tends to just kind of prick, kind of push kind of step on our toes. I will again just say and maintain, God, I would prefer it that way. I would prefer you step on my toes now. I would prefer to know where I need to change things now. I don't want to find out on that day when the man to whom Jesus refers to, which is himself, returns. There are so many things I don't understand, God. There's so many things I haven't gotten right. There's so many things that are hard to do. And yet this morning, it comes as a clarion call. It comes as a clear 
resounding note. We have work to do. There's opposition to that work, which means we have to fight the battle and we have to do the work. It seems inefficient. It seems like we're being hindered. It seems like it may drag on for a long time. And yet, it doesn't change. That's what you've asked of us. so grateful, so grateful, Jesus, that this morning, as you bring maybe some difficult things to us, that you also come, you always come as the shepherd who says, come to me. You're weary, you'd rest, you're burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke from me, learn from me. I'm humble. We can always trust in you, Jesus. Seems like such a no-brainer, and yet it's so good for us to be reminded of it again. We can always trust in you. I pray again as we, it just seems fitting on a morning that we've received members. We commissioned Joe to working in among our body here. I just, I pray again, Father, that you would make this body here. Just help us to grow in our representation of of our Savior Jesus, of our King Jesus, of the head of the body. That we together, though we're different, we have different functions, perhaps that we have different things, that we together would see that we're part of the body of Christ and care for each other and say we have no reason to say I don't need you or I don't have anything to do with you. And give us a love for each other that's genuine. If I can say this, God, give us a willingness to suffer ourselves personally for the sake of the others within our body. Help us see what that might look like. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have left with us a faithful and trusty guide, companion, leader for us. We submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? If I may just say this, if it is your endeavor to engage in both the battle against the opposition, the enemy who would want to distract us, discourage us, stop us from our work. If it's your endeavor to engage in both that battle and to engage in the building itself, I would encourage you now as I pray this final prayer to just personally ask the Holy Spirit to fill you for it is Him who equips you with the ability to do what God has asked. Holy Spirit, we rely upon you and so we ask you, Father, to pour Him out afresh in us, fill us, give us strength this day to do what you have asked of us. And the next day the same, but give us strength this day, this day to do what you've asked of us, to be faithful in fighting the battle and in building what you want us to do, the work that you want us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you go in?